Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Welcome to you. Um, Really, really great to be able to gather together uh, to sing our praises, to um, connect with one another and all, all those good kinds of things. We are about to get stuck into the Word today, and we're in the middle of our, um, our series looking at who are we as a church? What are some of these marks of a church or marks of a people that we, are, that we see in Scripture that uh, we are keen to embody and that we um, believe, again, from Scripture, are here for our worship, for our um, fruitfulness in discipleship, in mission, uh, in, in the work that God has for us in the world. So we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, um, we are family, and what does that mean for us to be family, to, to belong to one another, uh, to be um, blood-related, if you like, by the blood of Jesus. We gather around Him. Uh, we don't gather around our preferred football team or around our um, vocation or bank balance or background or culture or any of those kinds of things. We gather around the person work of Jesus and who we are in him. We looked at we are missionaries. What does it mean to be on mission? What does it mean that uh, God has a mission for us and that we individually and we together as a church are doing a particular thing, uh, not just for God, not just that he said, well, go and, and do this. Here's your goal. Go ahead. But that he's gone before us to prepare good works in advance that we would walk in them. He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do those things. And uh, as we uh, read in Scripture that we are to have unity as we go about doing those things. And today, <clears throat> we are looking at we are worshippers. So what does it mean for us to identify as worshippers? What does it mean for us to have that as a mark of, of us, again, as an individual and us as a church here at City Light in North Adelaide? What does it mean for us to identify as worshippers, to have that, again, as a mark of our life? What does it mean? And, and we'll look in Scripture today and see what does that actually mean? Because the way that Scripture, that the Bible talks about us as worshippers and the way that we talk about worship in 2018 in Australia <clears throat> have some overlap for sure. Uh, but I believe really huge spaces that don't actually really overlap. We talk about worship leaders, so people who stand up here, um, you know, if they're blokes, they'll have a beard, uh, usually, <clears throat> uh, or a guitar, for example, uh, or, a, or a piano, and they will lead us in singing, and we will call that worship leading, right? And it is, it is. That's certainly in, in the overlap. That we, we gather together. We gather together for, uh, you might have heard people talking about, we gather together on Sundays for word and worship. So we gather around the word. Um, that is the capital W word, the, the person and the work of Jesus, but also open scripture, open the Bible and gather around the written word. And we worship together. And usually when we say that word worship, we're thinking we will sing together. And so if you are not a particularly skilled singer, maybe, maybe you realise this yourself, maybe somebody else has communicated to you, leave it for the shower or something like that, you may start to think, if you think to yourself, well, I engage in the word part, but the worship part's not for me. Or I'm just one of those people who, I'll make a joyful noise, <laughs> emphasis on the noise part, <clears throat> and that will be my worship. But... 
I'll put it to you. Uh, scripture has a much more robust definition, much more robust understanding and meaning uh, of this word worship. So that when we talk about we are worshippers, it's not just limited to five songs on a Sunday. It's not what we're talking about when we're talking about we are worshippers. So uh, anyway, uh, we're going to get stuck into Scripture. We're going to see what God would have for us today. I should say, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Don. Uh, one of the elders here at Cedar Light. Man, it's my pleasure uh, to be with you. I've just noticed that uh, most times that I come here and preach, it's when we're doing the food afterwards. It's not intentional. <laughs> There's, I mean, it might be intentional. It's providential, but it's, I haven't like, um, well, where, where are the weeks? But regardless of the food, I was very happy to see the table set up. Uh, but before then, I was very, very, very keen and very happy to be here, uh, especially to be able to open the Word and talk about this most important topic that we so greatly miss, I believe, we really greatly misunderstand, not just in Australia, but even in, inside the church. So let's pray. Uh, we'll read Scripture and we'll see what God would have for us today. Father God, we thank you for your Scriptures Thank you for those um, people who knew you and loved you and listened to you and wrote these things down for our benefit, for our good, for our joy, so we understand and know more about who you are, uh, who we are in you, what you've said to us and for us, how you'd have us um, live, what you'd have us know. We ask today for understanding of these same scriptures the Holy Spirit would be working really, really mightily, really powerfully amongst us, <clears throat> changing our minds, changing our hearts, more into the likeness of Jesus. Give us the mind of Christ tonight, we ask. Uh, but not just for tonight, for our, for our lives, for the week ahead, for our interactions with other people, for um, the way that we work, for how we approach even you. Um, change us again, more into the likeness of Jesus, in whose name we ask. Amen. So, uh, there's a, uh, there's a guy who, he does talk about the singing kind of worship a lot. His name's Harold Best. He said, uh, we are continually outpouring in worship. We as humans, we are built to worship. In fact, many people over the years have said this exact same thing. We are built to worship. <clears throat> uh, back in the um, Reformation days, Martin Luther said something to the effect of, human heart is like a, a factory, an idol factory. If we're not worshipping God, we will find something to worship. Our hearts just have to go and worship. We are continually outpouring in worship to something or someone. It's never a factor of are we a worshipper or are we not a worshipper. It's who or what is the object of our, of our worship. That's the, that's the question for us as worshipper. Everybody is a worshipper and always worshipping something. Jesus said, uh, John 4, he's speaking to the woman, famous interaction, woman at the well. He said, uh, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This woman at the well was saying to Jesus, well, she was, she was not of Jewish people. She was saying, well, you have a place, you're Jerusalem, you can go to the temple and worship. We don't have the temple. We don't have that. And Jesus says to him, well, it's coming a day. In fact, it's here when you won't go to a geographical location. That's not where your worship will be limited to, but God is looking for people. In fact, he's making for himself a people who will worship him in spirit and truth. What does that mean? What does it look like for us to be worshipers? In fact, to have a mark of our 
community here, of us as individuals, of us as a group of people, as a family, as, 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 a, as a unified body? What does it mean for us to be worshippers, to look like worshippers? Why is it one of our key identifying markers at Cedar Light Church? <clears throat> for this, we're going to read a chunk of scripture from Colossians 3. And we'll see in here, I, I really do believe it'll help us understand why worship is not just five songs for an hour and a quarter on a Sunday, where we, the, the quality of our worship is determined by how we feel, or are we emotionally engaged with some songs, or do we or do we not lift our hands, or are we or are we not a good singer, uh, that these are actually not the markers of worshipping in spirit and truth, but that it's far more robust, far more uh, whole of life facing. This is what it says in Colossians 3. So, if you have been raised with Christ, this is a key question or a key starting point. If you have been raised raised with Christ, he's actually partitioning off and saying, this is for those who are Christians. This is for those for whom the grace of God is effective in their lives. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And truth, we could just take this one little couple of sentences and just sit here and uh, even just in here really is the key to everything that we're going to be talking about tonight. That all, everything that follows from here is just an unpacking of this one thought. If you're in Christ, if you are, as Scripture talks about, hidden in Him, if you are no longer um, just a sinner, but you're also a saint, if you are a new creation in Christ, then set your mind on things that are above where Christ is, not just on the things in the world. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. You're not your own anymore. You don't belong to yourself anymore. The the language here is incredibly stark. uh, That the old self is dead. Uh, Dead people cannot do anything. Can't do anything. Can't do any good things. Really, can't do any bad things. Can't help themselves. Can't save themselves. Dead people can't do anything. He's saying... You're not dead anymore, you're alive. And now that you are alive, you have no claim over your life anymore. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. So <clears throat> the temptation uh, is, when we read something like this, to look at those things and think, okay, now we're a, we are a new creation. We are now in Christ. Our old self is dead. Therefore, we no longer struggle with these things anymore. But that's not what Paul and I mean, Timothy and Sylvanus, who wrote this letter, it's not what they're actually saying. They're saying, because you've died, you're now actively engaging with putting these things to death. These things that we see here uh, will show who or what you worship. It means that uh, sex 
is an act of worship. It means that uh, impurity and passion or lust, it says uh, in, this, in my translation, uh, is an act of worship. Greed is an act of worship or covetousness is an act of worship. It means that when you uh, are covetous, when you look at something or want something that doesn't belong to you that you haven't earned or even if you would earn it to go after that thing for the sake of that thing, that is an act of worship. It's what he's saying. That when you do these things, when it looks like this, it's an act of worship. And so conversely, right, right sexual relations are an act of worship. Treating other brothers and sisters as not an object of, of your own like, fleshly gratification, but as brothers and sisters, as image bearers, is an act of worship. Because a generosity, not greed, is an act of worship. That's what it means. He goes on. But now, now that you are dealing with these things, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, since you have put off the old self. This is the language that they're using here, <clears throat> is that you were a, a creation. You were flesh and blood and spirit. And that, because you're now in Christ, you are a brand new creation. It means that God doesn't view you the same way he viewed you before. It means that um, you're now no longer an object of God's wrath, but you're an object of his mercy and compassion and love, and that the Holy Spirit now lives in you. You're, you're a new creation. And what he's saying is don't keep the old flesh on. Now that you're new, take off the old self with all of its evil desires, with, with all of the things that are contrary to true worship of the true God, and put them to death with yourself who has died, with your flesh and desires, put them all to death. Don't lie to one another since you've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. You're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. This is so key and we'll actually, we'll come back to this in a bit. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. See, back in the first creation, Adam and Eve, um, when God said, it is very good, everything and everyone working and operating and worshipping uh, in spirit and in truth, living as they were supposed to live, doing the things that were for their own joy and for the glory of God, Scripture tells us <clears throat> that they and we were made in God's image. And it's commanded them, be fruitful and multiply, so that the image of God would go and spread throughout the world. The image of God being perfection, being creative, being holy, being loving, being uh, merciful, being just, being all of these things that we would be little image bearers across the earth. And then sin comes into the world because of uh, human activity. And then our flesh, our creation is tainted. But now in Christ... We are a new creation, and again the command is to go and be fruitful and multiply so that as we are bearing the image of Christ, we would go out into the world and again fill the world with little images of Christ being us, Christians, little Jesuses, uh, showing to the world 
uh, his excellency, his greatness, his beauty, reflecting the image of God in our new creation. And now we are in Christ, we'll go about our life in the world, reflecting Jesus' glory to the world and how we image after him. This is, Scripture tells us, this is our, um, our act of worship. This is how we actually worship. We worship with everything that we do. Like we looked at in our week uh, of, of um, we are missionaries. It's not a matter of if you're a Christian, are you, are you a missionary or are you not a missionary? It is, are you a fruitful or effective missionary or are you not a fruitful missionary? The question is, isn't are you or are you not a missionary? And today, the question isn't are you or are you not a worshipper? It is who or what is the object of your worship? And you could tell by looking at your life. He goes on, Therefore, because of all of these things, as God's chosen ones, that you are his chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, it says, put on compassion. So he said what to take off. Now he's saying what to put on. How are we going to image after God? How are we going to image after Christ? How are we going to put on display what it looks like, what, what Jesus is like? He says, put on compassion, put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive Above all, put on love, which is perfect, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are all called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here we do see singing, like coming together <clears throat> and singing to each other. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to encourage, to admonish, to build up one another. So that is an aspect of worship. These things are not mutually exclusive. When we gather together, this is worship. So we do rightly call this worship, but it's not the limit of worship. This is not just, this is not just worship, and then we go out and we're no longer worshiping. Does that make sense? We gather together, we worship, we go and we scatter and we worship. Always worshiping. Always worshipping. What does this tell us about worship? It says, uh, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. It means that because you are holy, you act as one set apart. Because you've been made holy, you worship by acting as someone who's set apart. Because you have been loved, you worship by loving. Because you've been forgiven, you worship God. By forgiving. Because you've been brought into the unity with the Father and the Son, your act of worship is to pursue unity with each other. Because Jesus was humbled, we humble ourselves. Because he treated us with kindness and gentleness and patience, we are kind, we are gentle, and we are patient with one another as an act of worship, as we are imaging after Christ. Because he acted upon us with such grace, we respond to him with a life that marks this grace and overflows in thanksgiving to the, giver, to the giver of this same grace. These are acts or marks of worship. This is how scripture tells us we actually are to worship. Because we belong to Jesus, we do express our thanks with our voice, with our singing, but it's also with our lives. 
This is what Paul and Timothy and Silvanus, the writers of this letter, this is what they're trying to say. They're trying to say worship is your whole life. Worship is everything that you can do. And for some, man, please don't hear this as a gargantuan guilt trip. Don't hear this as me like heaping responsibility onto you, that you felt really free that you could come here, <clears throat> tick or check the worship box and go out and just go about life uh, and then come back next week and check the box. Yes, I'm, I'm a worshipper. And how do, you get, how do you become a better worshipper? Well, I'll get singing lessons. And that's how I'll be a better worshipper. Or how, how I'll be a better worshipper. You know what I'll do? One hand up. Be a better worshipper. Want to be an even better worshipper? Two hands up. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Saying you know how to be a better worshipper is that you put to death everything that's not from your new creation, everything that's not from Jesus. You put on the new self and you image after Jesus. It's not a thing that just you become a Christian and boom, all temptation, all sinful desires just immediately evaporate. <clears throat> For some, this happens in like, you know, discreetly compartmentalized things. So you may have struggled with one thing before and you may not struggle with that again. But what Paul is talking about here is it's like a fight with something that wants to make you a worshiper of something else of yourself, of your flesh, uh, of someone or something else. And his antidote, his, his command here is to put it to death. Like you go to war with that thing that's trying to take your affection away from Jesus. It's trying to take your attention away from living a life really worthy of um, who you have been called to be and who you have been called by. In Romans, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's not just coming here and going for like, <clears throat> going for extra credit and closing your eyes and lifting your head and arms back. It's not what, it's not what he's saying is the mark of a worshipper. That, that may be something that you do in, in worship, in a, in a show or a sign of surrender to God, but he's saying here it is spiritual act of worship is to present your body as a living sacrifice, which means putting to death the flesh, living in the new creation, because you've made a new creation. If you read um, how Paul writes of these kinds of things in other letters, he's like incredulous that we would go back to slavery under the flesh again. Say, man, you've tasted freedom in Jesus. You know what it's like? This, this call and command to worship God is not a laborious, weighty thing that's supposed to like drag you down. Oh, man, now I've got to do this and I've got to do that. That's how the Pharisees approached worship, their life. Paul's saying, and he's echoing what Jesus said. He's just saying what the Spirit is saying to you tonight. Uh, it's the most freeing thing. It's the most freeing thing to be a true worshipper, to worship in spirit and in truth, to lay down your life, um, those sinful fleshly proclivities and, and desires, and to pick up your new self. It's the most freeing thing. Because now that you have been loved, you love in reply. Now that you have been 
forgiven, we cannot not forgive. If we've been forgiven much, and you have, actually you've been forgiven for everything, uh, there's now nothing that we can withhold in terms of forgiveness. And when you forgive people, you're worshipping God. You're actually putting his love on display. You are being a little Jesus to that person, and you are worshipping God by showing his excellencies, showing his forgiveness in your forgiveness, showing his love in your love. Is this making sense? This is what it means to be a worshiper. That's what it means. <clears throat> the psalm writer writes, I'll bless the Lord, I'll bless Yahweh at all times. His, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. We sing a song uh, that basically says that. Praise will ever be on my lips. My soul makes its boast in Yahweh. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Again, he's not just talking about gathering together. Uh, in exalting his name's word, exalt really means to put up on high, put it on display, to show it to everybody. And this word magnify means the same way that we use this word magnify. It means to make like uh, the two kind of ways that you magnify something uh, or, the, you, or the reasons that you would magnify something is uh, if you were using like a microscope to look at something very, very, very small to bring out the detail or be able to see something that you can't see with the naked eye. Something that's very, very, very small that you want to magnify so that you can see that. Or something that's very, very, very far away that might be really big, you might use a telescope to magnify uh, what you can, again, not see with the naked eye necessarily to make it more clear, to show in detail something from afar, something really large um, with, with that magnification will make those things known or observable to you. <clears throat> Piper talks about at least that second one. It says the whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this. Feel, think and act in a way that will make God look great look as great as he really is, be a telescope for the world of the infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. So this is our goal. This is how we, this is how we are worshippers, uh, when we're worshipping in spirit and in truth. It's how we do it well, is when we're putting the beauty, the excellencies, the majesty of, the, of who God is, like his, his character, his intrinsic qualities, but also the gospel of Jesus, like what he's done for us, when we put that on display, when we take something that is gargantuan and seems far away, but it's not, and we just talk about and put on display the detail of, of who that is. We magnify the Lord, like the psalmist says, like we want to do. It's not just in our telling. Uh, it's actually in, uh, again, our choosing to love, to forgive, to be kind uh, to be gentle because God has been gentle with us, to actually image after Jesus and then be gentle to somebody else, puts him on display, magnifies him to the world. <clears throat> and when we're uh, like going deep into something that is uh, super small, I would, put that, I would say that that's more like when we put that microscope onto us and we actually show people, we bring out, we magnify our own Struggles and deficiencies and sin and, and fleshly proclivities, we put them on display and show how God has come in and has radically loved us in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of how we do not ever choose him out of our flesh and yet he chose us and gave us a new creation so that we can choose him, so that we can 
glorify him. Yes, with our words, but also with our very lives, with everything that we choose to do. That's what we do when we sing. It's what we do when we love our neighbor. It's what we do when we choose to do the thing that pleases God. It's what we do uh, when we work as if for the Lord and not for man. It's what we do when we forgive. It's what we do when we submit to his lordship. We magnify his glory in our lives. It's how we worship. It's how we are worshippers. Uh, he goes on and he has a, a bit of a chunk about how that actually looks in our homes. So how husbands and wives put this glory on display, worship God. How uh, <clears throat> um, children treat their parents. How slaves treat their masters or workers treat their bosses. Saying how you work when you're a Christian, when you're a worshipper of God, when, how you work is different. How you treat your wife or your husband is different. How you treat your kids and how, you treat, how your kids treat you. It's different when you're worshipping God and not worshipping something or someone else. And then he finishes like this. He says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you'll receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Saying in everything that you do, you know how you worship, spirit and truth? You do everything as if you're doing it for Jesus. Everything. He, goes, he finishes, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he's done. There's no favoritism. Everybody's going to be treated the same way. Do everything as if, you're true, as if you're serving God. When you are working, work like you are working for Jesus, like he's your boss. When you are relating with a friend, uh, in whatever capacity that looks like, um, relate to that person as if you were relating to Jesus. When you're serving or loving or forgiving or, or, or relating in any way to your spouse, you do that as if you were serving Jesus. Same with your kids, same with your neighbours, um, same with everything. And in this way, we put a giant marker over us that we belong to Jesus. That's what we do. Because you will necessarily look, smell, sound, like taste different to everybody around you when everything you do is done as if done for the Lord. Everything. So our being worshippers is primary for us. When we say we are worshippers, why would we spend a whole week looking at this in, in terms of what are the markers of us as a city like church? We are worshippers. Why do we do this? Because it informs and is displayed in how we relate to God. Because we are worshippers, we relate to God in a very different way. Because we are worshippers, we relate to others in a very different way. Because we are worshippers, we think about ourselves in a very different way. Our identity now is worshipper. So really, the one question and application for us today is, what does your life say about you? Who or what do you worship? Have you thought about it? If you've thought that this is, when you just, again, gather together, we sing a few songs on a Sunday, if that is the limit of you thinking about you're a worshipper or not a worshipper, I've got to tell you, your whole life worships. And doesn't just worship something, it communicates to anyone that's observing who or what is the object of your worship. Our homework for this week, observe your own life. Ask people to speak into your life. In your discipleship groups, let them do the, the tough work. Give them permission to do the tough work of 
taking a scalpel to your life to see what or who you're worshipping so that as you identify those areas, those things, those people, even might be yourself, that is the object of your worship, you can put those things to death, take off the old self, put on, live in the new creation and worship the one true God. Do you know why? Because our joy is wrapped up in our worship, our right worship of God. All these other things that would promote to you that they are worthy of your worship are saying, worship me and I will give you joy and they all fall short. But your joy, because you were made, you are created to uh, image after God, in a new creation, you image after God, uh, your joy is inextricably tied up in your right worship of God. So who or what do you worship? Your life will tell you. Let's pray. Father, uh, I mean, we so desperately need you. We just looked tonight at, uh, I mean, all the more at how we need you. We have needed you for our salvation. We do need you for, um, I mean, every day, for our ongoing sanctification and becoming more like Jesus, we need you. In putting it to death and cutting off uh, all those things of the flesh, all those things that will promise us joy and satisfaction and completeness and never do, we need your help. In having our affection, uh, our attention, our worship wrapped up in who you are. We need your help. So help us tonight. You want for our joy. We're so thankful for this, that you made us. You made us to be most joyful in glorying in you. So help us to do this so we'd rightly um, have a rightly ordered life of worshipping you. Lord, help us to be bold in inviting others to speak into our lives. Help us to be bold and humble in speaking into our sisters' and our brothers' lives, in uh, having them show us and in us pointing out to them uh, those areas in our lives that are not worshipping you. Help us to do this hard work of going to war like uh, Paul wrote about in putting to death these, these things of the flesh that just lead to destruction. And may our eyes be truly fixed on you. We love you. We're so thankful for you. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for not counting our sins against us anymore. Thank you for making us holy and setting us apart. Thank you for preparing good works for us to walk in. Help us to walk in those good works for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.